I want to talk this morning about the favor of God. We've been, uh, Pastor Sam, uh, this year has been uh, talking a lot about this verse. There's a wide open door for a great work here, though many oppose me, sense in his spirit that this year there's a wide open door um, that God wants to do something significant, even though there's opposition, um, he's going to do it. It's a great verse. It's been prophetically kind of, he's been saying it all around the country, around Equippers churches, around the world, um, particular focus in this month. There's a wide open door for a great work. And, and this, this morning, I just want to kind of unpack something about that, because I talked last week in the afternoon, there's kind of three parts to this. Yeah, God is opening doors. Yeah, there's a possibility of, of a great work. It's work, but it could be something significant. And even though there's opposition, God would make a way in the midst of it. But, but I don't know about you, but when I look at that, there's kind of an assumption behind each one of those things. And it's like, you can't engage with this until you engage with a, an assumption that I want to talk about behind it. See this, uh, number one, my machine's not working. There is a wide open door. Uh, well, if there's a wide open door, somebody opened the door. So there's an assumption, and if you look in scripture, um, can I get a little table? This clicker's not working properly. Um, There's a wide open door. Jesus uh, says this. Oh, I did. Sorry, we're going to get there. Can I get a little table to put this on? Revelation chapter 3 says this. This is the message of the one who's holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. If there's a wide open door, it's because back behind that, there is a powerful Jesus. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ who has chosen to open some doors for you. Um, this is a reference back to Isaiah. I give him the key of the house of David. What he opens, when he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. So you got that? You, you, you can't go out into this year confident that there is a wide open door unless you believe there is a powerful Jesus for you who behind this is actually opening doors that no one can close. You got that? Someone like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, that probably makes sense. The same with this one, for a great work there. Yeah, it's work, but it's something significant. But again, there's a whole lot of verses like this that just says this. You know, unless the Lord builds a house, so the, okay, if there's a possibility of a great work, it's because behind the scenes, God is working for you. Unless God is building it, it ain't gonna be a great work. So it's like, just like I assume there is a wide open door because Jesus has opened doors, there's a possibility of a great work because God is working on my behalf. God is doing this. You know, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, uh, that you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Why am I confident that there is a wide open door for a great work? Because Jesus has said, I'm gonna build some stuff. I'm building stuff in this world. In behind this sentence, God is at work building stuff. And you know, the changing the metaphor from building to, to um, agriculture, Paul's quite clear. I planted the seed of Paulus watered, but God has been making it grow. Again, neither the one who plants nor the ones who waters it anything, but only God who makes it grow. Do you get it? I'm confident there is a wide open door because he's opened the door for a great work because he's at work. And so then it comes to the final one, although many oppose me. And again, part of the whole thing right throughout scripture is like, God's like, don't worry, your enemies do not define the possibilities for you. Your enemies, your obstacles do not define what's possible. 
because God says this, I, you, David says this about God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. There's a wide open door because he's opened the door for a great work because he's at work. Don't worry about people who oppose you because he'll still, still do good things even in the midst of your enemies. You know, he picks this up that same verse. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it or not prevail. He's like, don't worry about the enemies. So, and, and, and he picks this right back up in Genesis 22 with the promise to Abraham. You know, I will surely bless you. Like, be confident about this. And down the bottom, your descendants will take possession, possession of the cities of the enemies. So it's like for each of this, it's like there's a wide open door because back behind this, there's the Lord Jesus Christ who's opened some doors for a great work because back behind this, the Lord Jesus Christ has decided that he's building something in your lives. And don't worry about the enemies because the Lord Jesus has said they will not prevail. So... You only engage with this with confidence, with faith, if you actually believe what's behind it, that God is for you, that God is for you. Come on, that God is for you. Then you can read this and with confident expectations go, there is a wide open door for a great work even though many oppose me. But greater is he that's in me and behind me and for me and so I engage with this confidently. There's a, there's a name for this concept in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. It's this, the favor of God. It's the sense he's for me. He's working on my behalf. He's adding weight to what I do. He's opening things up for me. He's making possibilities that weren't there before. It's like I'm living under the sense of the favor of God. And it's such an incredible concept. And I just want to show you a bit about this in the Old Testament. And I hope part of your heart is like, I want to live under that. I want to live in that. Because basically anyone in the, in the Bible uh, was kind of into this. So it just says about Moses. Moses sought the favor of God. Um, says about this, Noah found the favor of God. So pretty much anybody who's anyone in the Bible became somebody because they lived under the favor of God. You know, I love it about Moses. He said he sought the favor, and then later on he says this, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. You've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said I know by you by name, and you have found favor. Then he says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor. It's like Moses was like, I, sink, I sought after this thing. God told me, yep, you've found it. Okay, God, one prayer. Show me how to keep living in this thing. Like, this is the deal breaker. This is the must-have thing. I want to live under the favor of God. Noah had it. Moses had it. This, uh, all of these random kings, like this guy, he sought the Lord's favor, and God listened to him. One of the worst people in the Bible is um, one of the kings, Manasseh. So he, he was responsible for the total destruction in Israel. So he's taken away, bound in Babylon. And in that moment, verse 12, it just says this. In distress, he sought the favor of the Lord. He was like, man, I've mucked up. I've done some dumb things. I've made some bad decisions. I want to go, Lord, I want to turn my life around. I want to start living under your favor. And do you know what God says? Uh, he humbled himself, and when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty, listened to his plea, so he brought him back to Jerusalem. Like, it's never too late to turn around and step back into the favor of God. 
You've never gone too far that the door's closed to step back. If you're still breathing, there's time to return to living under the favor of God. It's the most wonderful thing. Um, and, and, you know, someone like Samuel, Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men, which kind of is a bit of a link to how, what does favor look like? Favor from God actually ends up being that God gives you favor with people. And they start opening the doors and they start creating the possibilities. So you see this with Daniel. Again, now God calls the official to show favor to Daniel. Man, I want to live under the favor of God where the result of that is I start seeing favor from people in my world. Doors start opening. People start making a way. People start giving me opportunities. It's like you start to get the list of everything, like the favor list. Uh, Nehemiah, who did a great work, you know, his prayer, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. He's like, God, I need your favor. And what's that look like? You're going to give me favor with some people of influence in my world. If I'm going to do a great work, you've got to move some people's hearts to open the doors for me to do that work. But the great news, we believe in a God who opens the doors for a great work, even though many oppose, because in behind that, there's the favor of God. And so when he answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor, let him send me to the city. And you know, he had the favor of God. He had the favor of this man. He returned to the city and he rebuilt the walls. That's favor. Anyone, anyone want some favor? <laughs> Like, I'm just sick of life, just doing life the hard way. I want to live in a sense God is opening doors for a great work. And even though there might be enemies, they're not going to hinder God's purposes. Esther, another one, if you know the story, this incredible young woman who, who found favor with the emperor. You know, Esther pleased and won his favor. Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. The king was attracted to Esther more than to any of, other, of the other women, and she won his favor. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen. You start to, if you read the Old Testament, it's like the most precious thing to attain is the favor of God. Everything else flows from that. You know, the story of Joseph in Genesis. If you know the story, he has this promise that he's going to do something significant. Bad things happen to him. Don't put your hand up, but anyone had any bad stuff happen? Here's the thing, the favor of God hunts you down even in the midst of the bad things. You can't stop it because it's God who opens the door for a great work even though many oppose you. So he was promised favor. What happens? He ends up sold into slavery, but what happens there? Uh, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. This, when the master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. What does the favor of God look like? You start finding favor wherever you are. And what did, that, what did that look like practically? Well, he put him in charge of his whole household, trusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of the favor on Joseph. You get it? Because of the favor on Joseph, Potiphar recognized that and gave him favor and stuff just worked. Favor was on him. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. And, so, and then what? If you know the story, what happens? More bad stuff happens. You go, I thought we were talking about favor. No, no, there's in the midst of enemies, but the favor of God will chase you down. 
so he ends up in prison. What happens in prison? The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Same language again. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in prison. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Wherever Joseph went, God's favor hunted him down. He just flourished, and people saw that, and so they favored him. They liked having him around. They liked the fact that he was in their classroom, that he was in their work team, that he was in their office, because there was favor on him, and they wanted his influence. And then so overnight, suddenly the favor finally hunts him down fully, and the Pharaoh says the same thing. Verse 40, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater. The favor of God pursued him. Because there was a confidence. I may be in the midst of some opposition now, but I'm convinced I live under the favor of God. Good things are coming my way. Doors are going to open. A great work will happen. There might be enemies right now, but they're not going to define the ending of the script. Because the favor of God is on me. You know, I love this. It just, the Pharaoh says this. And just verse 42, because I want you to kind of get this because we'll come back to it a bit later. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as second in command, and men shouted before him, make way. It's like he was honored. The favor of God put him into a place of influence and honor. Doors were open for a great work, even though many had opposed them. Why? Because no one could stop the favor. No one could stop the favor. Come on, imagine living when, when I might be going through something right now, but I'm convinced you can't stop the favor. There might be some obstacles right now, but they can't stop the favor. There might be some enemies right now, but they can't stop the favor. The favor of God is going to write the final page on my story. Because the favor is like, I want to live under that. You know, and I, and I love this. Um, this is what happens. This is, this is how it kind of develops. Then all these people come to him and, the, and they say to him, you have saved our lives. May we find favor with you. You got it? You kind of find the favor of God that then causes other people to favor you. And then other people are like, I got to get in your slipstream. Like, I want what's on your life. Could I find favor with you? Because there's something on your life that I want to be part of. Just don't let brokenness, don't let small-mindedness right now in this minute shut down your thinking. This is the picture of favor. The favor of God is on people's life, which causes other people to show them favor, which means that then people start wanting to pursue the favor that's on your life. Come on, there's the sound of victory in this. And then the final outcome for Joseph, I think it's quite extraordinary. His, his father was a very old man. Jacob comes down to him. This is a culture that's all about respect for your elders, stuff like this. And this is what his dad says as he's about to die. Verse 29, when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said this, if I have found favor in your eyes. Imagine that. Some of you who come from very hierarchical kind of cultures, that your father, your grandfather would, said, would say, my greatest prayer would be, have I found favor in your eyes? Because I recognize the favor on your life. Come on, we're, we're called to live in favor. This is, the old, like, this is the Old Testament, the favor of God. 
How many people are like, I want a bit of that? A few people like, no, no, I want a bit of that. I want to live under the favor of God. Where I start, doors start opening because of favor that comes through people. And then not only that, a great work because other people want to join with the favor that they see on my life. And so a great work happens and those enemies haven't been able to stop it. Now, when you get into the New Testament, the first few chapters of Luke are kind of written in an Old Testament fashion around the birth of Jesus. And you hear about favor again there. Comes to Mary, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. And Mary kind of freaks out and kind of goes, ah, you know, was troubled. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, you've found favor. So, so Mary was favored by God, that she got to be the person that heaven would use to bring the Messiah to the world. And it even says about Jesus, Jesus grew in favor. It's like, this is a really big deal in the Bible. Anyone like, I want to know the secret to favor. <laughs> I want to unlock some favor. Um, I remember preaching about this once in a church, and everyone got all excited. Yeah, I want to know the favor of God. Favor of God it was like, great service. And then I was driving home, and I thought, I wonder, what, I wonder where that theme kind of goes in the rest of the New Testament, because it kind of pretty much disappears. And I wonder where, how the cross affects, like, I was like, oh, where does this go in the Bible? Where's favor in the New Testament? Because it's like, that was, a, like, did I, hopefully I, it was a bit quick, but hopefully I convinced you, like, the favor of God is a big deal in the Old Testament. It's a pretty attractive idea. I want to seek God's favor. I want to live in it. I want to continue it. And then I want to see it start uh, spreading in my life. Um, I'm going to look at a bit of Bible, if that's all right. <laughs> Brace yourself. Um, so, um, <laughs> if we haven't worried. Um, in the old, the old Testament was written in Hebrew. And then before the time of Christ, they translated it into Greek. So when they were trying to figure out how to translate the word favor, they chose a word in Greek. It's the word charis, grace. It's not that favor disappears in the New Testament, that it's now everywhere. Favor has just been smashed open to everybody. See, in the Old Testament, you had to be someone pretty special to know the favor of God. In the New Testament, it's for everybody. In fact, one of the most common definitions of favor is this. Grace, I mean, is unmerited favor, but we go so hard on the unmerited. Yeah, unmerited, you know, you don't deserve it. You're really a toad, but... <laughs> it's like unmerited. It's like, no, 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 it's unmerited favor. Come on, you didn't deserve it, but you've got the favor on your life. It's unmerited favor. Suddenly, like, your brain should just explode about now. Suddenly, what was for people like Noah and Moses and Nehemiah and Esther is suddenly smashed open, and every single person in this place today can walk out of here going, I live under the favor of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. I live under the favor of God. What in the Old Testament they had to pursue, they had to try and hunt down, was reserved for special people. We all get to live under under the favor of God. Can I show you that in the Bible? Okay. There's a benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
he names the different persons of the Trinity and he ascribes a certain quality to each of them. So in the Bible, love is associated with God, God the Father, for God so loved the world. Fellowship is associated with the Spirit. So the one thing he wants to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ is grace. His kingdom is a kingdom of grace. Grace is the atmosphere of the kingdom. Grace is the currency of his kingdom. Grace is the language of the kingdom. Grace is the oxygen of the kingdom. It's a kingdom that works by grace. That's what we live under when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord. We step into a kingdom of grace. I was looking at this one day and I thought, I wonder if the Apostle Paul anywhere else makes this connection between grace and the Lord Jesus. Remember this? This is the final verse on 2 Corinthians. This is what I found. This is how he ends all his letters. Romans, the grace of the Lord be with you. 1 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. We just read 2 Corinthians. Colossians, grace be with you. 1 Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. 2 Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. 1 Timothy, grace be with you. 2 Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Titus, grace be with you all. Philemon, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Every single one of Paul's letters, his final thing, he, he's, uh, we've talked about, this is the final thing I want to leave with you. May you know grace. May you, you might say, oh, it's, you're overdoing it. It's just a throwaway line like, bless you. But the point is, it's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not my throwaway line. It's not my last thought if I have a meeting with Pastor Scott and as he leaves, I go, Scott, may you know the grace of the Lord Jesus this week. Pastor Matt, may you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. For Paul, it was like, this is how he closed every one of his letters. May you know grace. It's like, everything else about being a Christian is like, it's the detail, it's the fine print. But bottom line, this, may you know grace. May you live under the unmerited favor of God. May you go out of this place knowing you are highly favored, that God is with you, that there are wide open doors because he's opened them for a great work because he's at work in your life. Even though many oppose you, but his grace, the enemies will not stand. Now, the other letters aren't um, quite as, I'm, I left that one. So those are all his letters. The other letters, not everyone does this. Hebrews finishes grace be with you all. Second Peter, grow in the grace. The one that kind of quite touched me is this, end of the book of Revelation. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That's the final verse of the Bible. Like read the whole Bible. Here's the, and okay, now you got all that. Now go in grace. May you know grace. This is much bigger than we've thought. I, I love it actually in context. It's like, he who testifies to the thing says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. And now, while you're waiting for him to come, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is, the, it's just everywhere, like this is what you need to know. And so every letter of Paul's finishes with grace, most of the other letters do. If you look at the start of the letters, I'm not gonna go, they all start the same way, grace and peace to you. And it's not actually grace and peace in Greek, it's grace to you and peace. It's not that peace comes with grace. No, grace comes to you and that produces the peace. So again, grace to you, grace to you. I'm not gonna go, because every one of them's the same. Grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you. Da, 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 da. Grace and peace, grace and peace. Everyone, you've got, every one of Paul's letters starts and finishes, may you know grace. Everything else is just unpacking the detail. May you know that you live under the unmerited favor of God. May you know that I'm for you, that I'm with you, that I've added weight to your life. May you know that favor is coming your way. 
that supernatural favor of heaven has broken into your world. And again, some of the other letters do this. Not all of them. First Peter, grace and peace be yours. Second Peter, grace and peace be yours. Second John, grace, mercy and peace. And Revelation, grace and peace to you. It's like, this is the context of the whole New Testament. May you know grace. May you know the favor of God. May you know that he's for you. May you know that all of heaven has been unleashed on your behalf. May you know that a wide open door is there because grace. May you know there's a possibility of a great work because of grace. May you know that even though there's currently obstacles, they'll not stand because of grace. The favor of God, the favor of God. We live under the favor of God. It said in the Old Testament, you had to be someone pretty special to find the favor of God. In the New Testament, it just smashes open and it's available for all of us. Similar principle with the Spirit. You know, in, in the Old Testament, you had to be someone pretty special to have the Spirit of God, to be anointed. You had to be a king or a priest or a prophet. But then the prophecy in Joel is, no, no, one day I'm going to break this open for everyone. And the Spirit is simply the intersection point of the favor of God on your life. It comes from the heart of God the Father. It comes through what Jesus did on the cross. But it lands in your life because of the Holy Spirit on your life. And, and I've had a message, uh, Pastor Sam just wanted me to share this, that recently this, this thought in the book of Joel is in the context of locust swarms. And it's like God's vision is not raising up one spiritual superstar who's got the favor of God and the anointing. God's vision is for a whole lot of people empowered by the Spirit who go out like a swarm. Imagine a whole thousand people from Equippers, Auckland City that go out today going, I'm living under the favor of God. There's doors are going to open. There's good stuff's going to happen. There might be enemies, but they're going to fall. Imagine the impact of that, that a whole lot of people who knew I live under the favor of God. God is for me. God is with me. God is about to do significant things in my life. You know, this passage, uh, there's a great, a, a wide open door for a great work. Jesus says this, you know, who, people, whoever believes in me will do the works I've done, they will do even greater things. And I've heard Pastor Sam say before, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. He raised people from the dead. He walked on water. It's hard to imagine individual greater works. What you could imagine is a massive wave that becomes greater because it's no longer about the spiritual superstar. It's about you walking in the favor of God. It's about a whole lot of little ordinary people operating in the favor of God. It's about that would be a great work in, Christ, in Auckland. That would be a great work in New Zealand. That would be a great work around the nations. Are you ready to step into the favor of God? Um, I'm gonna get the keyboardist to come back up. I just want... That's all pretty heady, kind of. Let me land it in the heart story, my favorite story in the Bible. And it's the story of the favor of God, the story of grace. It's Luke 15, and particularly the story of the prodigal son. What does grace look like? If you know the story, the son rebels, leaves, wastes all the inheritance, ends up, life's a mess, unclean, dirty, ashamed, broken. And he decides to come back to his dad. And this is what he finds. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's unmerited favor. I don't care what you've done. I just want relationship. I just want to hold you. I'm so pleased that you're back. 
you step back into relationship as a son. And I think some of us who feel ashamed and distant and small when we read that, something in our heart responds to that. But I want to tell you that's only phase one of grace. That's only phase one of favor. Phase two, I, I talk, some of you will have heard this before, phase two of favor, I'm going to read it in a minute. I want to suggest to you, if you are being born or shaped by New Zealand culture, it's virtually impossible for you to hear this. Because this is what favor looks like. The father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Remember the language to Joseph? Put the best robe. Bring the best and put, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That's favor. Yesterday I was in the pig pen. Today I'm the honored guest in front of a banquet. I'm wearing the best clothes. I've got resource. I'm favored by God. And I want to say to you, if you've been shaped by New Zealand culture, there will be this massive cognitive dissonance that go, I, I, can't even fe- I can't even imagine what that would be like. And, and, and what's it about? You know, the commentators, some people analyze the ring and the, the robe and all that, but commentators go back to the story in Esther when um, the king asked this guy, what should be done for the person the king delights to honor? And he thought it was talking about himself. So verse seven, so he answered the king, for the person the king delights to honor, have him bring a royal robe. The king has worn a horse. The king has ridden with a royal crest. Let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the person the king delights to honor. Lead them on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the person the king delights to honor. You notice there's a common phrase in there? person the king delights to honor how good is your concept of God oh he forgives me because I'm a bit of a worm no no he delights to honor he delights to add his weight to you he delights to put favor on you it he's not found joy that you're groveling he finds delight that you're living in favor he defines delight that you're flourishing. Um, I was in um, California Equippers a few weeks ago and they were doing a video series about the heartbeats and they did the one honor. You know, we, it's not about honoring leaders, it's first about honoring God and His presence. It's about honoring all people. Then it's about honoring the grace of leadership on people. But they, I don't know, if, I guess we do this in New Zealand, but it struck me they just did it more naturally. The final step is, and God honors us. How are you with that? Because it's biblical. And our definition of honor, here's where this all ties together, is to put your weight behind. Could you imagine that God is putting his weight behind you to see you flourish, to see doors open in front of you, to see something significant come of your life, to see opposition fall, that God is delighted to put his weight behind you and see you honored. See what I mean? Some of you are like, that just does our head in as Kiwis. Americans and Australians will find it much easier to kind of accept that part of the truth. God delights to honor you. 
God is for you. God is opening doors ahead of you. God is investing and building something with your life. God is overcoming the enemies that stand in your way because the favor of God is poured out on you. And if a group of people would move out, that would be unbelievable. I just, some of you have seen this before, but let me just show what, you know, Kiwi culture. We've kind of, our hero is Edmund Hillary, kind of understated. So the good, we're pioneers, understated, no big rah-rah. Oh yeah, I just climbed the highest mountain. Now I'll go home and look after my bees in Pukekohe. Uh, and there's, some, there's something good, nice about that. But any culture has good and bad. The bad side is, is we struggle to receive honor. I like, seriously, who has a national color of black? I was at the league last night, a sea of red of Tonga. Couple of little timid little people in their black kiwis. I mean, we're not very good at shining bright. And if you choose a national symbol, you choose a lion or an ox or a gazelle. You don't choose a semi-flightless, semi-blind bird that lives in holes in the ground and lives on leaf litter. Like, what is with that? You know, we like to present, we like to present cute pictures like this. No, that's not real true. That's the truth. Like glorified moles and holes. And so, if God is going to unleash a movement. We've got to break out of our cultural constraint. We've got to crack something open. We've got to know that the gospel is much bigger than we've imagined. Can I invite you to stand? Come on, let those little walls of that dark little cave that you live in that you think is called humility No, let God just smash them open. Can't imagine a group of people who walked out of this place going, the favor of God is on me. The favor of God is on me. Because of what Jesus has done, unmerited favor. Totally don't deserve it, but his smile is upon me. He's behind me opening doors that I couldn't orchestrate. I expect when doors are gonna open, I expect that something is gonna be built because he's building in my life. And I expect that even though there's enemies that they're not gonna have the final say because the favor of God is on my life. I just feel for some people, this is a significant moment. I don't know how you engage with God. If it's raise your hands, close your eyes. Come on, in the Old Testament, they pursued the favor. It was a deal changer. I got great news for you. Every one of us can walk out of here today living in what they dreamed of in the Old Testament. I live under the favor of God. And he's putting his weight behind my career. He's putting weight behind my family. He's putting weight behind my growth. He's opening doors. He's building something significant. Enemies are starting to fall because because of the favor of God that's in behind us as a corporate thing. Pastor Sam often talks about the difference between an individual and a corporate anointing. Man, I hope there's some individuals who walk out of here free. But imagine if Equippers Auckland got a corporate anointing that we live under the favor of God. That we are highly favored. A smile is upon us. Doors are gonna open. Things are gonna be built. Enemies are gonna fall. Come on, for a minute, why don't you just open your heart to the favor of God?